Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Erica. I'm Steve. And I'm Sarah. So today we are now in Easter Tide, and we are going to be getting a brand new series. Uh, we are looking at um, God is making something new. So we are beginning with my first or second favorite chapter of the book it, of the Bible. It changes the book that periodically. Is the Bible. <laughs> yeah, um, Revelation twenty one. Um, because this is where everything is kind of tied up. Tied up with a nice little bow on top Yeah, of it. yeah, word vomit, but yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so I really like, I, I really like the imagery in Revelation 21, um, you know, beginning with verse 3 of, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, see, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who it was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Well, that's beautiful. It is. Poetry. Mm-hmm. It is. And maybe this is a moment for us to stop and say uh, a reminder that after spending a lot of time uh, dwelling in epistles, which were to read like sometimes like instruction manuals, and gospel stories, which are narratives, obviously, that poetry is an important piece of the Bible and that it reads differently. That it's sometimes mm-hmm. not that each new line adds new factual information, but like magnifies the experience of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is this is poetic, and it should feel in some ways like a song because like Re- Revelation sometimes is a musical. <laughs> Um, what, what, what else? What, I mean, what, do you, what do you want us to get out of this? Why, how, how, sell us on how this can be one of our favorite chapters too. So it, it's it kind of boils down to God is making something new, and I skipped the first two verses, and I have no idea why I did that um, because that's where the new heaven and the new earth is descending or coming because the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And so now that these things have passed away, the first earth, the first heaven, you know, what exists, what I assume now, um, it, it's all died. And now God is making something new. Mm-hmm. And in this new creation, all of these things that kind of make our lives terrible right now mm-hmm. are gone. There's no more pain. There's no more death. There's no more crying. Um so can you imagine a world where God is living fully and completely amongst us um, and we are fully and completely God's peoples and there isn't like, so I imagine there isn't a separation that we kind of have since the Garden of Eden mm-hmm. where um, God was, you know, walking in the Garden of Eden and walking right next to Adam and Eve, you know, that that, that exists again and in that new creation, that new place all of these terrible things that cause us grief and pain, they're gone. Mm. It's interesting to me, as you uh, recite those pieces of that imagery, um, there's that, that griddle line of T.S. Eliot's that um, the end of all our journeying to, be, to come back to the place where we started and to know it for the first time, the idea that there's something mm. new and mm-hmm. yet about that in a way you, we really only ever come back home. Mm. Um, and that in some ways when the Bible talks about this new creation, it's not like a... Well, none of this was ever a good idea to begin with. Let's completely scrap it. But it's almost like a return to like 
the intention at the beginning of the story is God in relationship with humanity in this way where God is right among us, dwelling among us. I mean, that's the beauty of that mm-hmm. imagery in the garden stories. You know, mm-hmm. there there's the first human beings walking along on walks with with God, and the, in the end the, of the Bible, the the imagery returns to that idea almost intentionally garden-like because they're at the center of that new creation is the tree of life making its second cameo appearance uh, in the Bible after Genesis. Um, And that it's sort of like, this is what it was meant to be. It's new and at the same time feels like home, maybe. Yeah, and I don't know exactly what this this new creation is going to look like, of course. And I think that that is a failure of imagination also on our part, that the only thing that we can do is relate this to something we do know and something that we have experienced even if it has just been through story um so yeah that this is a return home back to the garden of eden and one of the things that i think is really helpful that you just said about the failure of our imagination uh that's helpful in making sense of the rest of the imagery that especially the later chapters of revelation use to talk about this new creation is that sometimes the the details are the negatives of what's not there Mm -hmm. well it's well i can't describe what it is so i'll say well here's why it's good there's no death no crying nor pain and sometimes the images that it does use we should understand are meant to be poetic or like this is the best he could reach for but whether the gates are actually made of pearl or not is not really the issue you know um there 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 have been lots of ink spilled in uh, Christian circles over the centuries about like oh well the streets actually have to be paved with gold because that it's got to mm-hmm. be no well maybe maybe John is reaching for the best imagery he has because there I mean, there there are places where the imagery he uses you know it's it's um it's it's like gold and yet it's also see through like glass well you know that's not very helpful John if you try unless here's somebody who is brought to beyond the power of speech that his imagination and our words fail okay now I get it mm. and maybe that's helpful context when you talk about this as poetic this is less about oh how does this work in my model of the solar system how and like no not like that Mm -hmm. um and that the point is not to give us a map or a diagram or an astronomical chart despite the ways that sometimes christians have used this to be like oh well let me make a model you know nope 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 (laughs) you're mishearing it (laughs) maybe also this is a moment to talk about the direction of arrows um and what i mean by that is um as you read it the opening line of revelation 21 is about a downward arrow, for lack of a better term. That is, wherever God is or was before, God comes down, dwelling where we are, and not the opposite, not us flitting up somewhere on clouds. I think a lot of right. a lot yeah. of uh, Christian history, maybe uh, in the last several hundred years, we've sort of settled for this caricature that Christianity is mostly about how to get off this god-awful physical life and float up on this, as disembodied heads. And that's not resurrection, that's disembodied spirits, and you know, the, the, the Greeks were all fine with disembodied mm-hmm. spirits, but the idea of a new creation, and that it's not about us going up, to use that image, but more about God coming down, um, or about God coming among us, that's an important difference, an important image. And it also says that this created life isn't a mistake, that it's not a bad thing or a fault of God's who made a world where there's the taste of peaches and the smell of rain and uh, the, you know, the, the feel of fur or something like this. This physical life is a good thing, and what we're aching for is it to be made new or right and not what well, was a mistake to make us physical beings in the first place. Mm-hmm. That's, that's good old-fashioned heresy <laughs> that the church rejected early on. And I think that ties into what you were saying earlier, Sarah, about the, the whole sense of feeling like you're coming home. You know, like... For me to go home means to to drive back to my house, you know, this place that I know that I, I've come to love uh, here on earth. And I, I see Je- uh, Revelation 21 kind of 
um, much like what the Celtics would uh, call thin places. Ah. Mm. You know, where, where the, the division between heaven and earth seems to almost disappear. Mm-hmm. Where one can walk, feel like back they're back in the garden walking mm-hmm. with God and God's personally there with him. And so I like... Um, See, you were saying how God comes down to us. It's not going up into the clouds with him. We're not the angels playing harp slaying mm-hmm. on clouds all day long. But it's this idea that, crea- you know, what has been created is, is good. It's still good. We've just messed it up. Mm-hmm. And now God's going to make it good again. So that it not only feels like home, but then becomes home for us. That might be helpful, too, in making sense of that weird little detail that uh, Sarah read that I think often we either skip over or I've seen people run in all sorts of very weird directions that says that in this new creation, the sea is no more. Mm. And like I, I've read people who try to make an honest-to-goodness defense about how a new planet is made with no water, and I think more it's like... No, I think the the point is the sea in the especially in the Hebrew scriptures is this recurring image of chaos, uh, and mm-hmm. there's this idea of like the things that we were used to be afraid of them. You know, and how often in the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament, it's well that sea is where the sea monsters live, the Leviathan and all that. Mm-hmm. That ri- we're all cool with rivers and lakes and all that kind of thing, um, but the sea is sort of almost becomes this sort of symbolic. That's where monsters come from, and that no, the things that used to make us afraid. We don't have to be afraid of anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's less how do we imagine a new planet where there's no oceans, and more about like this is a this is a, anybody in first century uh, uh, Roman Empire land, any, any especially anybody steeped in the imagery of uh, the Hebrew scriptures like John and his audience are, mm-hmm. hear this less as oh good there's no water I hate water, and more about this is a way of talking about that the chaos that we've been afraid of and all those sort of monstrous things we think live in the shadows. Our way, all culture talks about these things living in the shadows. The ancient way was talking about them coming up out of the sea, mm-hmm. um, and that it's a, it's a it's an imagery about ca- it's, it's about chaos, and that finally the chaos is dealt with once and for all. Could it have anything to do with, and this is just a complete throwing out there, having thought it through, but I think back to to Genesis and Noah and and the flood, and I know that God promises not to flood Mm. the earth ever again, but I'm wondering if that no sea, you know, yes, God has made this promise not to do this again, but he's God, and so, I mean... Right. This is sort of this reminder, like, even that, that's off the table, Yeah. I, I guess I think... Anytime I read the, the, the book of Revelation, I am increasingly su- surprised, maybe I shouldn't be surprised anymore, but find there are ways where John the writer is like referencing and doing like pop culture allusions to what would have been, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, what we call the Old Testament, would have been the Hebrew Bible, and that there are sometimes explicit references and sometimes just like winking nods, and I, I would put that in the category, yeah, sure is the possibility, because it seems like John is interested in gathering up as many strands of the whole story that's mm-hmm. gone before, and trying to bring them all together here, so that, yeah, it, it, it winks back at, at the Eden stories, it winks back at, um, at Noah, it winks back at a lot of other stories. Um, are, are there other things that you want to uh, make sure that we hear as we talk about what does it mean to say God is making a new creation, Sarah? Well, I like to pay special attention to that, to a line in verse three. Mm. Um, so God is making God's home among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples. And I, and I think that peoples being plural is very important, um, because it's, it's inclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's not saying that you have to look or act or be a certain way to be part of God's people. Like, there isn't just one way to be God's 
people. Because there's multiple peoples right, of right. God. And that would have been like uh, a, uh, a new direction for a John in the New Testament compared with the... Sometimes the, the Old Testament writers will dabble in new creation imagery, mm-hmm. but you could assume, oh, well, this is just for you know us Israelites or us you know, Judeans or something like that. Right. And John very explicitly is like, nope, there's a lot of faces. There's a lot of shades of melanin. There's a lot of... I mean, even, even cultural you know, language, mm-hmm. all those things are different and all are there. Yeah, and so I think that is really important to hold on to, that, you know, that it's not like... Oh, it's just the Lutherans that are going to be God's (laughs) people. It's not just the Methodists. It's not just the Roman Catholics. It's not just white Europeans. It's not just uh, dark-skinned Africans. It's not, Mm -hmm. you know, just heterosexual people. It's it's everybody. And that recurring theme keeps coming back to the whole book of Revelation at a number of times when it breaks into musical numbers where mm-hmm. John the narrator will say, and I saw a multitude of every nation and tribe and tongue, mm-hmm. and that like it seems pretty important to John that this new thing that God is doing has all this variety to it, and that that's not uh, a mistake. That's a feature. That's not a design flaw. That That's part of God's intention rather than, oh, I guess we have to let some of those outsiders in. But like, no, this is a new thing that God is doing. And maybe that's part of what makes it new is that so much of human history has been um, us fighting with each other over who's the right way to be human or who's the mm-hmm. right, you know, uh, and who speaks the right language or who's got the right dress or who's got the right acceptable skin color and who, if you're outside that boundary, we're allowed to kill or hate or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Um, and that part of what John sees as so radically new is God's going to make it, we don't do that to each other anymore. I always, and I don't know who said it first, um, but that idea that we're going to get to heaven someday and we're going to be like, wait, you're here? Right, you're here? right, right. Wait, right. Who, wait you mean then? Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and that there will be a lot of surprise uh, at, at people who are surprised to see us there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, there's that old joke, too, I've heard you can put whatever denomination you want as the butt of it, but as a Lutheran, I'll make it Lutherans as the butt, that uh, the people are getting the tour of heaven and they go past this one church and Peter says, so this is where the uh, Methodists are and this other church and here's where the Presbyterians are. And then they walk past this building that's got the windows all boarded up and the doors and it's, it's silent. Peter says, shit, it's super quiet walking past. And they tiptoe past and as they get back to the rest of the tour, someone goes, why do we have to be so quiet there? And in the joke, St. Saint, uh, Saint Peter goes, well, those are the Lutherans. They think they're the only ones here. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, like, like, that's this recurring temptation. And again, it's not just along denominational lines. Most of human history has been, you know, us putting uh, my group in the insider group and people who aren't like me. Yep. Sometimes we even invent other categories for the other just so there can be somebody else that I can not like. I mean, like, isn't that the, the heart of the Hutus and the Tutsis uh, in Rwanda mm-hmm. is that you know, that colonials uh, impose, we're going to create two different groups so you'll fight against each other uh, so we can rule you better. Yeah. Um, and if most of human history has been us finding ways to find somebody who's different and hate them, or uh, you look different, we have to go to war with you, um, that it's a powerful image that Revelation brings mm-hmm. that that's not a part of the new creation. And that God doesn't just say, well, we'll solve it by enforcing uniformity, everybody getting the cookie cutter. Though I still think Latin's going to be the, the language spoken in heaven. <laughs> that's well, why I, I'm a choir director and the pure vowels of Latin. I, I so. guess we'll find... I, I had a... Uh, uh, Experience when I was in seminary with a uh, teaching pastor who used to say, uh, sort of tongue in cheek, that it was important for us uh, white 
uh, American Westerners to learn hymns in other languages so that we'd know the words when we got to glory, with the <laughs> assumption that not every song in heaven is sung in English out of the Lutheran hymnal. Um, and that seems, an, I mean, like, even even if that's tongue-in-cheek, that, like, it's not really like we're going to spend all our time singing out of hymns, um, that, that, that's an important image that, mm-hmm. like, whatever this new creation is like, um, I shouldn't assume it will be only my preferences or my taste, because, you know what, I'm not the center of attention there. Yeah. I think that's another important piece about sometimes when we talk about new creation and we jump to using it as a talk for the afterlife, you'll hear people say things like, well, it won't be heaven unless there's fishing, as though the linchpin of what should decide what goes in heaven is what I like. You know, <laughs> it, won't be, it won't be heaven unless there's a coffee shop or it won't be heaven unless there's a beach. You know what? It's not really up to me. It's not about whether I like it or not. Being in the presence of God <laughs> is the thing that makes the difference. Um, and maybe... Um, not to get too sentimental here, but maybe that's really the key to all this about how this this new creation can be home and yet new at the same time. Mm-hmm. That what makes a place home, to be very honest and maybe a little bit sentimental, is that there are people who love you there. And over the course of a lifetime, the building that you call home changes. The referent of the word home changes from your childhood home to your college home to your adulthood home, and it may change multiple times in the course of adulthood. And it's not lying to say that a new place becomes home, but what mm-hmm. makes it home is now there are people in the new location, whether they're people you bring with you from the old location or people who come to receive you and welcome you, that make a place home. And so the idea of God coming and dwelling with us and making God's home mm-hmm. with us um, is that it's God's presence that makes the new creation home, not that it has to be familiar and it has to have the wallpaper from my childhood home mm-hmm. for it to be. No, it's God's presence. And I think, I know eventually we'll get to talk about other places in the Bible that this new creation idea happens, but that's totally going to be a big deal when it comes to Isaiah, who uses the same imagery a bunch of places mm. in the back half of that book. The idea that you can be in a new place you've never been before, and it can still be home, because if God is the one who brings mm-hmm. you there, then that's home. Um, and that's a really, really important idea. Forgive the fact that it's a little bit sentimental, too. <laughs> Maybe, could I suggest one other piece, at least, that's that jumping out for me right now? Of course. And, and that's that... Um, as I think of early Christian writings, uh, the first couple of centuries, um, one of the recurring images you get in a lot of the early Christian writers is that because we are waiting for this new creation that will be our home, in the meantime, we live like sojourners and wanderers mm-hmm. and aliens in this life. And they didn't mean that to be like, so don't get involved anywhere, don't join your local PTA because you're just passing through. But they used it to say, our ultimate allegiance doesn't go to anybody else. So it's not one particular nation, it's not to the empire, it's not to one particular uh, local region or province or language or whatever. Ultimately, we belong to this new creation and the reign of God. And, and because of that, everywhere I go, I should feel at ease. And at the very same time, everywhere I go, I should be okay with not fitting in. Um, and for the early church, that was a really, really big deal, because, like, everywhere they went, they were getting rounded up and thrown into lions, and also that they were trying to deal with being a new kind of create a new kind of community in the meantime that included Jew and Gentile and Greek and free and slave and women mm-hmm. and men. And like it's almost like they took this language from Revelation twenty one seriously and said, Well, if God's gonna do this, we might as well practice and be that mm-hmm. now. I guess I wanna ask Sarah, your thoughts then in particular, since this is an important <laughs> passage for you, like what what does it seem what does it mean to you for me right now to, to read these words, does it make a difference in how I live my life on an ordinary Tuesday to have these words? Or is it just, doesn't make a difference in your life now, but one day it'll be better? I would hope that it would have a 
mean something today. I mean, there are some things that we cannot bypass or ignore in life today, such as pain, death, suffering. Like, those things we can't really make go away. They're just part of life that we need to deal with, be a part of, um, you know, but like we can't, we can't ignore those things. But I would hope that we could live today recognizing that God's peoples are not necessarily just people who look like us, Mm -hmm. not just people who are sitting in the pews at our congregations. They're not just people who sound like us, who have similar childhood experiences than us, uh, that they are everybody. And that should impact how we treat others in the world. And tell me if this this fits. This is one of those half-formed thoughts. So I'll spit it out there and you can tell me if this is heresy or acceptable or somewhere in between. But that the vision we get in Revelation allows for this multiplicity Mm. and variety instead of enforcing it. And that maybe the, the... that instead of when I encounter folks who are different, that the goal isn't, well, I should make you more like me and then we can Mm. be friends, but is it possible for me to be friends with you as you are instead of uh, we can be friends once you like the books that I like or once you like the classics that I like or once you, you know, whatever. Correct. And I would even go so far as to say that we don't necessarily know how inclusive this line is supposed to be taken. Mm -hmm. We don't know who all God considers God's peoples. So... Therefore, I take this vision to mean that I shouldn't be trying to convert already faithful people to my line of thinking. So if I meet and befriend a Muslim family or a Hindu family, I shouldn't be trying to make them Christians necessarily if they're already being faithful in their faith practices. Um, Because I don't necessarily want to say that God doesn't already claim them in some way. They're already being faithful. Mm. Um, And I know that goes against other parts of the Bible. Um, You know, in particular, the... um, one of my favorite funeral texts. <laughs> We're going to have which that, is, uh, pitting the different favorites against each other. Right, right. That, that, that line from John of, you know, Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, you know, so I, I get that there is a lot of tension here with that. Um, but I also don't know all how God works. And I don't want to assume things that... You know, if I am coming across a faithful person in another faith tradition that's not Christian, I don't feel like I have the judgment call to say that what how you're practicing is wrong. Mm. Um, and I take this line to support that of um, God has many peoples, okay. and I don't know who they all are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I absolutely hear what you're saying, is, at least as, especially as far as Erica said, like there's that humility that is, I think, required of us to say, um, I, 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 we should be prepared to be surprised at the faces there, mm-hmm. and that instead of going like, nope, they will only be uh, Lutherans like me, or they will only be Methodists, or they will only be like, mm-hmm. th- there should be this, God reserves the right to surprise me. And I think that may be a whole other piece of what's going on in this passage, and coming as the tail end of the of the last book of the Bible, is that God has consistently um, 
surprised God's people again and again and again. And at the very moment the people are convinced, all right, we've got to figure out, here's the boundaries, God goes like, turns out I'm doing a new thing. Turns out Gentiles are allowed in it. You know, like, mm-hmm. And the moment that we are, okay, we've got to pin down, these people are acceptable, mm-hmm. other people not acceptable. God, had, like, almost, we, should, we shouldn't be surprised by it anymore, except that God keeps doing it. You know, God keeps, up. Oh, surprise, it's bigger. Um, and that that's something we can't ignore about this passage, uh, as well as other places in the Bible as well. But there, there's at, at the very least, like we have to reserve the God. We have to allow that God can reserve the right to surprise us. Right, and I and I, I'm also going back a little bit with something you said in a text study recently, Steve, where you said um, it was about something completely different. But you said ultimately we can only worry about ourselves mm-hmm. and worry about where I am in my relationship with God. And then be in relationship with everyone else. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, who is and is not present in this new creation isn't up to me. Thank God. Thank you, God, so much that it's not up to me. That it's uh, it's up to God. And I just have to be in relationship Mm -hmm. with everybody else. And. And that's it. And which that, is a big it, but you yeah. know that means being able to answer the question, like that line from First Peter says, you know, being able to give an account for the hope mm-hmm. that's in you. When somebody asks you, why of all the things you could be, are you a follower of Jesus? That like, yeah, well, here, here's why I'm here's mm-hmm. why I'm convinced. This is this is um, this is what has uh, grabbed a hold of me. Or this is mm-hmm. this is why I believe what I believe and why I live the way I live. But having answers to that allows for the possibility that God can be bigger than what I have perceived. But mm-hmm. it also is able to say. Here's here's what I here's what I know here's here's what I'm mm-hmm. convinced of or here's what is solid um, and that allows us then to have conversation as long as also after I tell my story when someone asks me I'm also able to listen to well, all right man you tell me about your story mm-hmm. too rather than just I'm gonna walk around and t- give right. everybody my autobiography yeah. and everybody else just has to listen I, I think that's part of being in relationship though like relationships yeah. are supposed to be two way streets not one way streets right right mm-hmm. right. I think of the late Billy Graham and um, how he used to say, you know, it's my job to tell people about Jesus, but it's the Holy Spirit's job to do the convicting. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I, and so that's, I get what you're saying, Sarah. I'm, I'm also one of those ones, um, you know, God has the right to bring into heaven whoever God wants to. You know, that's not my job. Mm-hmm. That's a, mm-hmm. well above my pay grade. Right. Um, so all I can do is be faithful to the way I feel that God is calling me to live out my life. And if, if there are folks out there that have never heard of the name of Jesus, but are, are trying to be faithful to whatever faith that they've been brought up in, who knows? I mean, that that's God's grace right, right, right there. Right, that's right, not right. me to make a judgment call on right, that. Right. And this may be also a point to say, at least if we come out of traditions that mean it when we talk about that we're saved by grace, um, that means that my salvation isn't a matter of I got a certain correct score on my theology exam mm-hmm. because I believe a certain number of correct things about God. That's why I'm in, and that's why everybody else isn't going in. But no, if I'm saved by grace, that means it's not about even how right my theology is. Uh, and that's a humbling thing, too, to say that if that's how I'm saved, that's, how, that's the only way anybody gets saved is yeah. by grace and not by the uh, number you get correct on your theology mm-hmm. exam. That's a humbling sort of a deal, but that I mean, like that's an important piece of, of this whole conversation. Um, are there other things, Erica, that are coming to your mind when you hear this passage about what it, what it means to live in light of a new creation? Just, I think going back to what you're saying, Steve, about home and, and home being wherever God has has placed you. Um, as an itinerant pastor, and in the Methodist movement, we move a whole lot more than U.S. Lutherans do. 
No, you just have a different quality way you think you, you do things. But we also like, hate packing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, <laughs> the more you do it, the more you hate it. <laughs> um, but for me to to keep that in mind that no matter where I find myself, whether you know I, I, I get moved to a new appointment or or even wherever I find myself in the moment, mm-hmm. you know God is with me, and that place can become home. Um, so whether I'm sitting at my house with my dog or if I'm recording with you all, you know, somewhere in Indiana or, or you know, one of our churches, um, that is home and God is with me. And so to, to the idea of taking God with me, and, and I know that's, that's a reality and that's, you know, that's a cognitive thing I know in my mm-hmm. head. Sometimes it doesn't always follow in my heart. Yeah. And so, um. That's definitely something I, I, I need to ponder on some more and, and take that with me and, and try to make sure that I'm keeping that in mind no matter where I'm at and to keep it in my actions mm. and, and the way I, I live my life, whether I'm wearing a collar or not. Can I toss out a question to both of you? Um, <clears throat> does the promise of a new creation and this guarantee that we have from John that there's going to be new heaven, new earth, that whole business, does that then absolve me of taking care of the world and the people that I live around now? Because after all, God's going to get rid of this and make a new one. No. No. I mean, especially, well, A, because we don't know when this new creation is going to come. Mm -hmm. And I now have children, and I would like them to grow up in a healthy world. And B, God is making a new creation but there also seems to be elements of old like uh, he's recreating it doesn't mean that he's dismissing this world and and Uh sending away in in fire and flames but it could be taking this world and then just restoring it to the purity that wasn't eden yeah so it sounds like this is a place to avoid sloppy new creation theology correct and again i say this because over the centuries, sometimes uh, very religious-sounding people mm-hmm. have made it sound like if you believe in the new creation or in heaven or whatever, it doesn't matter how you take care of the world that you live in or the people that you live in mm-hmm. or your neighborhood or whatever because, after all, God's going to destroy it all and make a new one from scratch. And sometimes you will occasionally hear people who say it's unfaithful to take care of creation because it suggests you don't really believe that God's going to make a new creation. Mm-hmm. There is a lovely but probably not historically accurate Martin Luther quote. <laughs> that... Oh, I love this. I love this quote. <laughs> so, Whoever said it. <laughs> I'm going to paraphrase because I don't know the actual fake quote, but um, somebody supposedly asked Martin Luther once, if you knew that the resurrection was happening tomorrow, what would you do today? And Martin Luther said, I would go plant an apple tree or an oak tree, I've also heard. (laughs) But, you know, because oak trees take like a long time time to grow. Um, But that he would go out and plant a tree because that's what stewards of a good earth would do, would go out and plant a tree. And that's one of those stories that, yeah, like you say, even if Luther didn't say it, there's something wise about that, that it's, mm-hmm. it's worth, it. like, mm-hmm. if, well, Luther or Christians don't tend to do Zen koans like, like Buddhists do, but it's one of those, like, story poems that, like, we should, we should keep this in our back pocket. Yeah. The thing I love about that notion is it's a return to gardening, and it's like, the idea is like, well, what we're made to be in the first place is takers, you know, people who take care of creation, so until we get a different job description, that's what we do, um, and yeah, that ability to, to 
plant something, even if you know you will not get to live mm -hmm. to see the fruit, but it's worth doing in and of itself. Um, and that's a fundamentally human thing to do. I, mm -hmm. I think that's an important image. Yeah. So, this is maybe a good place for us to leave off for the day, knowing that we're beginning a whole new series on new creation. So if you want to dig into this idea more with us, and maybe what it means for actually living our lives in the current creation that we live in, uh, join us uh, next time on Crazy Faith Talk. See you. Bye. Bye.